Welcome and thank you for accepting our invitation for this Bible study and reflection on March 9th, 2022. Let us begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Peace be with you. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father and Almighty God, we come to you with our thanks today for your Holy Word and ask that you would guide us in the interpretation of your word and help us to never misquote or attempt to alter your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read an excerpt from an article written by Aaron Blakemore for a show on the History Channel in 2019. And I quote, The ex-president bent over the book, using a razor and scissors to carefully cut out small squares of text. Soon, the book's words would live in their own book, hand-bound in red leather and ready to be read in private moments of contemplation. Each cut had a purpose, and each word was carefully considered. As he worked, Thomas Jefferson pasted his selections each in a variety of ancient and modern languages that reflected his vast learning. Thomas Jefferson was known as an inventor and a tinkerer, but this time he was tinkering with something held sacred by hundreds of millions of people, the Bible. Use, using his clippings, the aging third president created a New Testament of his own one that most Christians would hardly recognize. This Bible was focused only on Jesus, but none of his mystical works. It didn't include major scenes like the resurrection or ascension to heaven, or miracles like turning water into wine or walking on water. Instead, Jefferson's Bible focused on Jesus as a man of morals, a teacher whose truths were expressed without the help of miracles or the supernatural powers of God. Made for his private use and kept secret for decades, Jefferson's 84-page Bible was the work of a man who spent much of his life grappling with and doubting religion. End quote. I can't imagine anyone doing this, and I certainly don't know anyone that ever has. I'm sure we've all heard people recite quotes that were supposedly found in the Bible. You will probably recognize some of these false quotes and misunderstood stories that have been attributed to the Bible. While they may have some biblical basis, they're just not correct and cannot be found in any well-respected translation of the Holy Bible. I'm going to read just a bit of an article that was written by John Blake that gives a little insight into how and why we are using false quotes. And I quote, NFL legend Mike Ditka was giving a news conference one day after being fired as the head coach of the Chicago Bears when he decided to quote the Bible. And Ditka says, Scripture tells you that all things shall pass. This too shall pass. Well, 
Ditka fumbled his biblical citation, though. The phrase, this too shall pass, doesn't appear in the Bible. Ditka was quoting a phantom scripture that sounds like it belongs in the Bible, but look closer and it's not there. Ditka's biblical blunder is common. The Bible may be the most revered book in America, but it's also one of the most misquoted. Politicians, motivational speakers, coaches, all types of people quote passages that actually have no place in the Bible. These phantom passages include, God helps those who help themselves, spare the rod, spoil the child. And there's this often cited paraphrase, Satan tempted Eve to eat the forbidden apple in the Garden of Eden. None of those passages appear in the Bible, and one is actually anti-biblical. But rarely challenged because biblical ignorance is so pervasive that it even reaches groups of people who should know better. A religion professor at Hope College in Holland, Michigan, used to say in his classes, I sometimes quote Second Hesitations, chapter 4, verse 3, there are no internal combustion engines in heaven. He said he waits to see if anyone realizes there was no such book in the Bible, and therefore no such verse. He goes on to say, only a few catch on. Few catch on because they don't want to. People prefer knowing biblical passages that reinforce their pre-existing beliefs. Most people who profess a deep love of the Bible have never actually read the book, says Rabbi Rami Shapiro, who once had to persuade a student in his Bible class at Middle Tennessee State University that the saying, this dog won't hunt, doesn't appear in the book of Proverbs. They have memorized parts of text that they can string together to prove the biblical basis for whatever it is they believe, he says, but they ignore the vast majority of the text. End quote. Now, let's have a look at some of the most common misquotes or false quotes that are attributed to the Bible. Money is the root of all evil is not in the Bible. As Paul neared the end of his life, he chose young men such as Timothy to carry on his work. In his two letters to Timothy, they kind of form a leadership manual for the young pastor, giving Timothy instructions for leading the church and warning him of false teachers. In chapter 6 of Paul's first letter to Timothy, there is a section titled False Teachers and Love of Money. This is probably the basis for the incorrect quote. And here is the reading from chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And now I'm sure you're familiar with this saying as well that has been attributed to the Bible. Spare the rod and spoil the child is not in the Bible. This misquote probably comes from a verse in Proverbs 13, 24. 
Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, I checked with seven different Bible translations, and six out of the seven uses the word hate, and the King James Version uses the word hateth. None of them come close to using the word spoil. Now, this next is not necessarily an example of an incorrect Bible verse, but is more an example of reading Scripture with Western eyes. Growing up, I'm sure you were read a story about Jonah, or you might have read it on your own, and a whale that swallowed him. This comes from the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Again, I checked seven translations, and they all said huge or great fish. None of them said Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I can only think this probably comes from our cultural paradigm of what a great fish would look like. And... If that is not convincing enough, a whale is not a fish anyway. It's a mammal. Most people have heard this one as well. God helps those who help themselves. It's another phantom scripture that appears nowhere in the Bible, but many people think it does. It's actually attributed to Benjamin Franklin, one of the nation's founding fathers. The passage is popular in part because it is a reflection of cherished American values, individual liberty, and self-reliance. And in this case, we're overlaying our values on biblical writings instead of truly discerning what they are saying to us. We often infect the Bible with our own values and morals, not asking what the Bible's values and morals really are. Not only do we get the interpretation wrong, but very often end up quoting verses that really aren't there. God helps those that help themselves is not found in the Bible. The saying can be found in Poor Richard's Almanac, which was published in 1736 by Benjamin Franklin. Now, Franklin himself was a deist, and so he believed that God did not play an active role in our lives. In his point of view, if man was not able to help himself, then man was hopeless. The Bible teaches something entirely different than the above saying, because God makes special provision to help the helpless. Next, the serpent tempted Eve and she ate an apple is not in the Bible. The reading from Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. One interpretation for the Hebrew word for fruit is produce. So, the Hebrew author intended for the reader to see what Eve ate as the fruit that the tree had produced. It is meant to be a generic fruit and not a specific fruit such as an apple. 
While Western art has traditionally depicted the fruit Adam and Eve ate in the garden as an apple, the Bible is not that specific. It merely describes Eve eating some of the fruit and sharing it with Adam. Our next reading comes from Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God will not give you more than you can handle is not in the Bible. This is the result of some presumably well-meaning person trying to sum up 1 Corinthians 10, 13 as a way of comforting a person through a trial. But that's not what the verse or any other verse in the Bible teaches us. Here's the reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You find countless cases where someone faced something they couldn't handle, but God could and did. That's the point including Paul's words to the Corinthians where he tells them God will provide a way of escape from temptation. If we could handle everything that came our way, we could take care of our sin problem. But we couldn't and we can't. That's why we needed and continually need Jesus. So what's the big deal, you might ask? The big deal is God's word is holy meaning it is set apart and not to be tampered with or misquoted. I offer four different passages to help answer this question and emphasize why. First is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And also, next, a reading from Proverbs, verse 30, excuse me, chapter 30, verses 5 through 6. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebu rebuke you and prove you a liar. And listen to John's words in the last chapter of Revelation. This is Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy... God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this scroll. And Paul also addressed this in his second letter to Timothy regarding Scripture and God's Word. This comes from 2 Timothy 
chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thank you, Paul, for these words, and thank you for reminding us that all scripture is God-breathed. Not just some of it, all of it. And if we start putting our own tweaks on God's words or cutting and pasting, we will not be equipped for his good works he had planned for us. Let us pray. Most good and gracious God, we thank you today for teachers, pastors, scholars, commentators, and others that help us understand your holy word. Lord, continue to guide us to your holy word, and as we read and study your word, allow your Holy Spirit to activate that word in our hearts and minds to prepare us for your humble service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Go in peace, serve the Lord.